Greetings. Wonderful being with you again today. We are continuing our study in 1 Peter chapter 4, and the theme of this lesson is suffering. Exciting stuff, right? You might already be wanting to click the back button and leave because who wants to spend 20 or 30 minutes uh, learning more about suffering? We prefer to be more in ignorant bliss about suffering. However, trying to maintain an ignorant bliss towards it or just ignore it like an ostrich putting its head in the sand doesn't mean that we will avoid it. At some point in your life, it is very, very likely that you will face trials and suffering. And it would be a really uh, sad thing if you weren't ready for it. And if you faced it without hearing what God's word has to say about it. So in the passage today, we will be looking at what God's word says about suffering and specifically how knowing that can help you be prepared so that when suffering comes, it doesn't break you, but you actually grow stronger through that. Perhaps you're already facing suffering in your life these days, and this can encourage you now, and perhaps you're not. Perhaps everything in your life is going smoothly. In that case, I hope these things can uh, strengthen you and prepare you for potential future things which God might have in store for you later on. So let's go ahead and read. We'll be in 1 Peter chapter 4, and first I will read uh, verses 12 through 14. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his suffering is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So if you've been following along with this study, you know that much of the book of 1 Peter is addressing the topic of suffering because the believers were being persecuted under Nero in the Roman Empire. And Peter was trying to encourage them and strengthen them so they would persevere in the face of suffering. Now, it's very likely that you do not face the level of suffering that they faced then, but you perhaps face some persecution now. And if not, you can see where the world tends to be headed. Much of the Western world is running as fast, uh, as quickly away from the Lord as it can. So suffering may come whether we want it to or not. Now, Peter says, Beloved, Look, I love you, and he shows his close relationship with them. He wants what is best for them. And they may also not want to hear a lot about suffering, but this is what they were going to face. And so it was necessary for him to share with them. And sometimes we have to talk about topics that are not particularly pleasant, that we wouldn't normally pick to talk about sitting around the dinner table or when we're gathered together at a party with our friends. And... The book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon says it's better to go to a house of grieving than to a house of feasting, uh, meaning that sometimes it's necessary to talk about the elephant in the room. It's necessary to talk about some hard truths. And so here is the hard truth that trials will be, to some extent, inevitable for believers. He says, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you. Don't be surprised. He says, as though some strange thing were happening. In other words, some believers face a trial, they face suffering, they're like, what? What's going on? Uh, this isn't what I signed up for. Is this, you know, why is this happening? And, and Peter's like, don't be surprised. Jesus told the disciples, Peter was one of them, that if the world hated him, it would hate us too. 
Paul, Peter, they constantly preach this, that suffering is part of the Christian life, and it is a normal aspect of the Christian life. Now, Jesus said, if you remember the parable of the sower, he would, uh, the sower would sow the seed, and some people would face trials. That is the seed that went onto the rocky ground, and it sprung up, and it grew quickly, but then try, the sun comes out and wilts it. This stands for the trials of life come, and many believers wilt away and fall away. Well, we don't want to be those believers with a shallow root that wither away when the trials come. And so there are some believers who think that trusting in God is a ticket to a rich and a smooth life. And so Peter warns his readers against this attitude. It might be more pleasant to believe that. It might um, be attractive to many people to believe that, but that's simply not what Scripture says. That is not the truth of Scripture. If you study it, that believers are going to live an easy life and everything will be well. And so there are many verses. I'm just going to run through a few real quick. Philippians 1.29 For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him but also to suffer for his sake. It's granted to you to suffer for him. Uh, Philippians 3.10, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Um, Romans 5.3, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. So, God has a purpose for sufferings, and suffering can help improve our character. Also, uh, John 16, 33, Jesus said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you not maybe or, or might, but he says you will have tribulation. But take heart, I've overcome the world. So scripture is very clear that suffering is a normal aspect of Christian life. Now, in sometimes and places, trials are more severe, and in some, they're less severe. If you're in a less severe place, then thank God for that. That is uh, also a blessing for you that you should not take for granted. I had a person over to my house uh, one time from the country of Somalia. It's one of the most heavily persecuted countries in the world, he was a believer from there, and he was describing to me what it was like to be there. He faced all kinds of torture. Uh, at some point, he was waterboarded because of his faith. Uh, he was basically stripped and forced to lie down on a very, very hot asphalt, which was burning his skin. And there were other types of torture that he faced too. And he's still a refugee and running away because of these things that were happening to him because of his faith. So there are places in the world like that today where persecution is very, very heavy. And in other places, in many Western countries, persecution is not so severe. But it may be there as well. It will just be a different form of persecution and probably a much, much less serious form, perhaps in insults, uh, scoffing, mocking, perhaps lawsuits, perhaps discrimination at the workplace um, or in universities or in society. Uh, to some extent because of one's belief in Christ. 
Um, if that comes, we should be ready for it. He says, do not be surprised. And I think we could agree that those things still are not the fiery trial. Those things may be inconvenient. They may be unpleasant. They may be stressful. But they are not a fiery trial. They're not disastrous. They're not going to leave us in in pain. It's not torture. It's not prison. It's not martyrdom. So if you haven't yet faced that level of suffering, then thank God. But that's also no guarantee about the future. And if we look at history, we can also see that God has a purpose in suffering and in persecution. He's not the one bringing that persecution about, but he uses it to purify the church. Throughout history, persecution has often been the best thing that could happen for the growth of the church. A lot of times when governments try to push it down and attack the church and attack Christianity, then it actually explodes and spreads more because it's more opportunity for testimony, it strengthens people's faith, it sifts the wheat from the chaff, and it um, sometimes pushes Christians into other places that they weren't before and then gives them more opportunities to spread the gospel in new locations. In all kinds of ways, God uses this to, especially to build and to grow people in their relationship with the Lord. Um, so you probably, perhaps, are not facing a fiery trial, but maybe you're facing some kind of a trial. And every kind of a trial can test us as believers. They test our commitment to Christ. They test our faith. They test, do we really believe in God? Because, well, it's difficult now. So when, when you believe in God and then it becomes difficult because of some pressure or something that's happening outside of you, then you ask yourself, do I really believe? And is it really worth it? Or do, and do I want to keep walking down that narrow road or do I want to instead go down the broad way? These trials help us to face those questions and to reveal our faith to us. Reveal the answer to the question, are we willing to follow him no matter what? the cost. And hopefully that trial will reveal to you that your faith in the Lord is genuine and that you are willing to follow him no matter what the cost. And so your answer to those questions will be, yes, I do believe. And when you come to that realization that, yes, I do believe, and that belief is rock solid, that affects your Christian walk. That gives you confidence, not confidence in yourself, but confidence in the Lord moving forward. And it helps, it helps make your faith more concrete and more personal. So it's not just head knowledge anymore, but you have lived it out. Now let's go forward. It talks about sharing the sufferings of Christ. You will never suffer as Christ did, and I will never suffer as Christ did. Let's be clear about that. We, Even if we did die by crucifixion, which is extremely unlikely in the 21st century, we still wouldn't suffer as Christ did because he took all the wrath of God. He took... The wrath of God for all the sins in world's history, he took it on to himself. So Christ has been through much worse and he was victorious. But as we are Christians, we are followers of Christ, we share to some extent in his sufferings. We cannot expect, well, if Jesus wasn't popular and Jesus, the Son of God, came to the world, he healed people, he did all kinds of miracles, he fed 5,000, these are things we've never done. You would think these things would make him super popular, but in fact, they led to his death. People killed him. People 
murdered him. So people murdered Jesus, who was perfect and never sinned, who healed hundreds of people, who cast out demons, who fed people for free. Everybody likes free food, right? If people killed Jesus for that, what about us? Do you expect that you will be more popular? Do you expect that you will be better liked? You are not perfect like him, so sometimes your own sinful attitudes are offensive to people already, and you haven't healed hundreds of people, most likely, and you haven't fed that many people for free, probably, as Jesus did, and certainly not miraculously. So if Jesus suffered, then we also will suffer. That is logical. That's what the Bible teaches. That is what Jesus taught us. If you're in a church or you're under teaching that says something differently, then you need to come back to Scripture and study it and understand what God is teaching us there so that we will be ready for it. So we share, to some extent, Christ's sufferings. That is to be expected. If we love the world, then the world will at least welcome us or or love us because we are like them. But if you love God, then the world will hate you. So we share, to some extent, in Christ's sufferings, and it says to rejoice, to rejoice in this. Keep on rejoicing. That's that's a little tough to, to do. When you're facing a trial and you say, yay, it actually doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that you're like, woo, wonderful, I'm facing a trial, this is so exciting, I'm so happy. No, it's not like a, a giddy laughter. If, if you were to face a trial and you would be to laughing hysterically about it, people would say, okay, you're crazy, right? That's not joy. That's just lunacy. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about this deep inner peace, a joy in the Lord to say, I can, well, what's the opposite of joy? Probably depression, uh, complaining, grumbling, whining, All of these things would be the opposite of joy. So when we rejoice, we say, God, I rest in you. I'm comfortable in you. I have peace and I'm willing to face this because I know that you are with me. So the Bible often tells us rejoice. It says you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So we rejoice because we know that his glory will be revealed. He's coming again. And one day we will see him, we will be with him, uh, and all of the things we face will be over and done with. And Romans talks about that as well. Uh, Romans 8, 18. My keyboard just died out on me. Use this one. Romans 8, 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So whenever you start to get discouraged and down about the sufferings you face now, just compare it with what the Lord has in store for you. Read Revelation 21, Revelation 22, and compare it and realize, wow, what what is coming is much greater than, than that. So much better. So I can rejoice in the Lord and I can be patient for that to come. Okay, let's go forward, uh, verses 15 through 16. Let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. So this is a reminder that as believers, 
we need to suffer for the right reasons if we're going to suffer at all, right? Because in the book of First Peter, he talks a lot about suffering. So someone might, someone who is a criminal, for example, and has murdered people or robbed from people or done violent crimes, they might look at this and, and start to feel, you know, pretty okay with themselves or good about themselves and say, yeah, it's just, you know, my 30-year prison sentence is just my cross to bear. And, you know, everyone has to face, you know, their, everyone has to carry their cross. And so they might be more kind of lighthearted or dismissive of the consequences that they are facing. But Peter makes it clear. He says, look, I'm not talking about people who suffer because of their own sin, because of their own wrong choices. He says, let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer. Not, okay, I'll go and do this crime and then I suffer. And I say, well, God says everybody faces suffering. So that's just the consequence. No, what Peter is talking about is the suffering or persecution for Christ, for Christ. Not because you actually deserve it because you've done something against God's law. So we need to pay attention to that. Uh, he says, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. So actually what it means is if you are suffering because of a crime you've committed, then you should be ashamed. In other words, there is guilt there. Of course, you can still find forgiveness in Christ and he can take away that shame and that guilt. Um, but yeah, he's specifically talking about suffering for believers. So he says, for believers, you shouldn't feel ashamed for what you are and for your relationship with Christ. And Paul said that in Romans 1.16. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God. We should not be ashamed for doing what is right. You should not be ashamed if you tell a group of classmates that you are a Christian. You should not be ashamed to tell a group of successful businessmen that your wife is a homemaker. Uh, so my wife is a homemaker, and in, we live in China, and China is not, uh, I guess, is caught up in the feminist movement as the West is, but it's still here. And so there are some people who will look down on homemakers, and they will say, oh, this is kind of a worthless thing for women to be doing with their time and all of this. And so they sometimes try to pour that shame onto those women. We shouldn't be ashamed. If this is what God has called you to do, then do it and don't be ashamed. Don't be worried about what other people think about it. If God has called you to homeschool, then don't be ashamed or worried that people would judge you for that. Whatever it is that God has called you to do, do it for him. And if you suffer for that, either suffer some looks, suffer some stares, suffer some snide comments, or suffer worse, then he says, don't be ashamed. Don't worry about it, but let him glorify in God. So remember, God's calling you to that, and God will reward you for that. So don't worry about what people say. Don't try to impress people. Don't try to fit in. We shouldn't fit in. Believers should not fit in. Romans 12 says we should not be conformed to this world. We should not fit in with this world. So when you fit in, no one will judge you. No one will say anything about you because you're doing the same thing that they are. But when you do something different, they may try to shame you for that because you stand out from the crowd. And what Peter is saying is 
is as long as that different thing you are doing is for God and is good and right, then don't be ashamed about it. Do what's right. So think about yourself. Is there anything that you've been ashamed about as a Christian? Um, if it's a sinful thing, good. But if it's something that you're just shy to tell others you're a Christian or to identify with him, then you need to consider that. And now might be the time to start being more bold and not be ashamed of that anymore. Okay, let's go forward to the last part, 17 to 19. It is time for judgment to begin in the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteousness, sorry, if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Okay, so he says it's time for judgment to begin at the household of God. Now, at first glance, that could be a bit confusing. You might think, well, are believers going to be judged by God? And, and, and what does that mean? And are we going to be judged first before unbelievers? Like, what is this? If you look at, and so sometimes when we come across confusing statements like this, in fact, always when we come across confusing statements like this, we need to look at the whole context. And the whole context is suffering. And especially your reaction to suffering. And some people who were facing persecution, suffering for their belief in Christ, would then question and ask themselves, why is this happening? And he says, do not be surprised. And then he says, it is time for judgment to begin in the household of God. So, the household of God, the church, will suffer first. The church will suffer first. Basically, what that means is it's better to suffer now for following the Lord than to suffer later at the hands of the Lord for not following Him. So, in some aspect, judgment happens to believers first. But that judgment is from the world. The world does the, its judging first. Right now, you live in the world, the people around you will judge you first. And we don't actually come into God's judgment until later, either the second coming or uh, when we die. And so the world's judgment happens first. It begins focused at the church because the world isn't judging itself. They're happy with the sins that others in the world are doing. The world judges you first. And then the next judgment, the later judgment, is from God. And so if you are judged by the world, then that means when you face God's judgment, uh, well, you can you can stand. That means you probably you're saved because the world is judging you and you're acting differently than the world does. And so it says, if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Okay, so in other words, they will face judgment later and they will not escape because they will face God and there will be a no escape from him on that judgment day. So you can choose to have a smooth life now and to not face the world's scorn by fitting in. But then you may realize at the end that, that any profession of faith that was made perhaps wasn't real. And those people may end up facing eternal judgment in hell. So basically there's a choice. Do you want to face judgment from this world or do you want to face judgment from God? I would a lot rather be judged by the world and hear their snide comments or insults than I would to hear God say, depart from me for I do not know you. That is the thing we want to avoid hearing. That is the judgment which we want to avoid being pronounced. Not some comments from our neighbors or the people around us. 
So <clears throat> when we face sufferings, uh, we should not have a, a woe is me attitude. Instead, we should be thankful. Okay, God loves us enough. He's letting us go through these things to test us, to improve our character, to help us grow. We can rejoice in them. We can be thankful in the midst of them because we know this suffering is short-lived and he will rescue us and he has rescued us from the real suffering in hell. And going forward, he says, if the righteous is scarcely saved. Now, what that means, and it's important for us to remember, is salvation is not cheap. It's not easy. It's not free. You do well to remember. Jesus had to pay a heavy, heavy cost for you to be saved. It was difficult. You remember the night before in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was sweating drops of blood and dreading dying on the cross. It was difficult. It was not cheap. And so even for the righteous to be saved, like it, it says it, it's, it's difficult. We believe in him and we still face some discipline. It's not an easy life. We face persecutions. We face trials. But in the end, we will finally be saved. But for the ungodly and the sinner, they are not willing to go through those trials. They want their best life now. They want uh, all of the goods, the so-called good stuff that the world has to offer. So they reject this salvation. And this is a rhetorical question. What will become of them? Um, well, the answer is nothing good, unfortunately. So we need to share the gospel with them so they can be saved while they still have a chance. Um, there's a verse I'll look at. Proverbs eleven thirty one: If the righteous is repaid on earth, how much more the wicked and the sinner? Okay, everyone will be paid back for the deeds that they've, that they've done. Everyone will be called to give an account. So we should remember that, and that should affect our action. So let's come to verse 19, and this is the action point which Peter has for us. We will close there today. He says, therefore, that word is always important, Based on all the things we've read, all the things that Peter's taught about suffering, therefore, and then this is what he's going to tell us to do, he says, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator. So if you are suffering, if you are facing trials, if you are facing difficulties, insults, pressure, whatever from the world around you, entrust your soul to your creator. He's faithful. And even that word creator says he made you. Okay, you are from him, you'll go to him. He is the one who is your judge. He is sovereign over you. Entrust your soul to him. He will take care of you. Give up control. That's hard, hard for me. Probably hard for you too. Give up control. Give up your own desires. Stop trying to just push, uh, force God's hand. In, 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 if you're in the midst of a trial and just, always thinking, uh, I want to end it now, I want to end it now, I want to get out now. Okay, we can pray for God to take away the trial, but consider instead sometimes, what is he teach me, teaching me in the middle of it? Do I need to grow? What does he want me to learn through this trial? And don't try to avoid suffering by hiding your faith or keeping parts of it secret. Stop complaining when we do suffer. It says, entrust your soul to a faithful creator. He knows what is best. Now, thinking of an illustration of children with their parents, the children often think they know what is best. 
And my children often ask me for ice cream. Much of the time when I'm driving around, they say, Dad, can we go get ice cream at McDonald's? And sometimes I do it. I like to give them nice things and I like them to enjoy it. But I do not give it to them as often as they want. If they were allowed, they would probably eat ice cream uh, every single day and, and other unhealthy things. And so it would not be good for them. But a small child who's three or four years old thinks this is good. And sometimes if the parent says, no, you can't have that, the child thinks that the parent is not very nice or is unfair or whatever they might say. And so from the child's perspective, this ice cream is good. But the parent says no. And sometimes, alternatively, the child thinks that something is not good, but the parent gives it to them, for example, homework or chores or other things. And so the same is true with us in our relationship with God. Sometimes we think this thing is not good. I want it out of my life, get it away. But God may just be giving us homework because he wants to train us and he wants to help us grow and he wants to help us improve. So let's entrust our souls to him. And it says, while doing good. So on the one side, we entrust our soul to him. We believe him. We say, God, you have my future in your hands. I'll trust you. I'll believe in you. And yeah, take care of me. And I trust you to do it. But on the other side, he doesn't say you're not doing anything. You're not just, ah, you know, sitting back in your chair and relaxing and uh, just enjoying and not doing anything. He says, while doing good. So on the one side, you believe in him, you trust in him, and on the other side, you're still doing good. So you're still living for him in this world. You're still being diligent. You're still working in the community, in the church, in your family to serve him and uh, to live for him. So this passage, again, is not most of our favorite topic, the topic of suffering, but I hope that it it will encourage you to have the right perspective when you face suffering and to entrust your soul to the Lord and to keep doing good. Uh, in the descriptions, uh, in the description below, I've included a couple of links. Uh, one is for a Bible study guide for the whole book of 1 Peter, which has questions for every single passage in 1 Peter. You can look at those questions to reflect more and go deeper yourself, or you can use them for having a good discussion group with a Bible study group. Uh, so the link is there. There's also a link to our website with specifically this study and all the discussion questions that go with that uh, there. So I would invite you to like and to subscribe. If you like this verse-by-verse teaching through the Bible with a focus on practical obedience so that it will change our lives, then please do like and subscribe because it will help get this message out to more people who can also grow as they come to the Word. Thank you so much, and I look forward to seeing you next time. God bless. To see our entire library of over 800 Bible studies, please visit our website at www.studyandobey.com.